What's happening, everyone? Welcome back. It's Jay Scott. It's the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thank you once again for coming by and giving us a listen. We always do appreciate it. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. Check them out at PantheonPodcast.com and on all social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Pantheon Pods. And you can check out The Hook Rocks on all three of those places, too. Just uh, search up The Hook Rocks. And also, don't forget to set whatever app you use for podcasting to set it for automatic download for our show. So you get the latest episodes right to your phone, as well as all the 479 or 480 others. We're approaching 500, so we're looking forward to that milestone. And we're also approaching four years, so... We've covered a lot of ground in in just under four years, so go give us a listen and check out some of those episodes from the past, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And don't forget to write us a review. We always appreciate it, and if you like what you hear and you like the interviews and you like the content, let us know what you think. It's always great when we always get feedback from our listeners, so we do appreciate it. Uh, we've had some great episodes recently. We recently did our quarterly album review. We rank our top albums of the first quarter. We do it every quarter, and then we finalize everything at the end of the year. So check that out. We also recently had our, our live quarterly album review of Rush Exit Stage Left. We had Skylab, our professor, our audio professor on the show, talking about vintage audio systems. We also interviewed some Great new artists, too, or emerging artists over the last decade. We had Tuck Smith and Jared James Nichols on the show to talk about their upcoming tour. And also Metadead from the Dead Deads and Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods. Check that out. That tour just wrapped. I was uh, lucky enough to see that outside of Chicago here. And some of the previous episodes, too, as well, like Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick and Richie Kotzen from the Winery Dogs. So check that out. Um, I'm sure you'll enjoy that. We've got another Really cool new music spotlight. It's a band that my son introduced me to. Uh, my son, who was probably 15 or 16 at the time, he's 18 now. He's like, Daddy, I check out this band called DeWolf. And I'm like, DeWolf. Wow. I'm like, okay. So I checked it out, fell in love with the band. He loves the band. And I was like, man, these guys are really cool. They got like a very soulful, bluesy, R&B meets rock and roll type vibe to it. It's really awesome. It's kind of a classic throwback, but it's got a really modern approach to it. And uh, their last album, which was just released this past uh, quarter, made my top list for the quarter. 
uh, this past year. So I was happy oh, to, yeah. to, to, to rank that album. And, uh, it's a fantastic album. It continues with the previous album too, as well. The album is Thank called so Love, much. Death and In Between. And we've got, you can hear him kind of talking in the background. And that is Pablo Vanderpool. Uh, from the band D Wolf. What's going on, Pablo? How are you? Hey, man. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I've actually been wanting to have you on now for like a couple of years. Oh, and really? For whatever reason, you know, you get, I get backed up with shows and episodes and, and, you know, I was revisiting the list for the first quarter and ranking my albums. I'm like, you know what? I got to have this band on. And, and, um, I just had the cold stairs on. Which is this mm-hmm. great blues act too as well. And their team are also representative of your team. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to reach out to them and have them on. And here we are. Dude, it's a, it's an honor. And it's also an honor that we made your quarterly top, top list of records. That's, uh, that's incredible. And I, I wonder how, how the hell did your son find out about us? I have no idea. He he just, you know, when I drive him to school, it's kind of like a, a ritual thing to listen to music. Okay, um, that's cool. And you know, sometimes when he gets in the car, he's got like a new band or a new act and he found you guys. And I was like, huh, okay, what's this? This is interesting. And they were, you guys were great. I'm not saying they as in you guys. Yeah, you guys were, were great. I'm like, I'm listening to it. So I drove him to school and then I drove back listening to your music and then I just, Got the CD. I got him the CD, and it was uh, it was great. That's so cool! Like this this multi generation thing that we that we also see that at our, at our shows. Like when you look when I look into the audience, there's like there's a lot of parents with their like teenage kids that come and see us. I think that's, that's awesome. a really cool, really rare. I mean, of course, like if you go to like Justin Bieber or. There's also a lot of teenagers probably with their parents, mm-hmm. but I th- I feel like um, with us, it's different. Like parents actually want to go to the show and then their kids also want to go. Whereas, you know, if you take your kids to a show because you're just your kids want to see a show, that's, that's kind of, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's rock and roll has that cross generational thing, you know, because there's so many classic bands that people my generation fell in love with. And then as you're listening to it, as your your kids are getting older, they hear the music too. And then they start checking out their own stuff, um, which is what you want. You want your kids to kind of have their own bands like D Wolf and, and some other bands too, as well. Yeah, of course. Sometimes it's like a mystery how that works. Like nowadays, I mean, when I was young, and I feel very old saying this, I I would just go to the record store, and the little cash that I had, I would uh, I would ask like the the record store guy that I trusted musically. I I asked him like, uh, okay, I I like this and that. What what do you recommend? And then he would recommend something to me. And sometimes it was like really random. So I know like these super random. Uh, uh, very obscure 60s bands and sometimes it would be like free and i discovered the band free through this guy uh but nowadays kids like if you listen to the radio you would think like oh they must have terrible taste in music but then they come up with these cool bands that they discovered through i don't know i think youtube and um 
also Spotify, of course. Like I discover some cool things uh, on Spotify because you know I play my favorite record and then it just keeps on playing. And then yeah. every once in a while, I'm like, oh, that's cool, and it's really cool. And series, yeah. of course. Like if you watch Netflix, you hear so much old music, so much cool stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting how how kids do discover music these days because there really is, especially here in America, there's really no modern rock radio playing new bands and playing new artists. It's basically classic rock in a lot of markets. So you don't really get the exposure. So where do these bands go to build their audience and grow their audience? And like you said, it's YouTube, it's Spotify, it's a, you know, a couple of different things, but it's definitely not mainstream, unfortunately. And, you know, when you listen to pop music, Popular, you know, popular music, I've always said, oddly enough, is not indicative to what is the best or what is good. You know, it's, it's, it's indicative to what's popular. So you have to kind of distinguish, you know, the, the different categories of, of what's good and what's popular. And sometimes people associate good with popular. And I always disagree with that. Sometimes something that could be, you know, heard by a hundred people is way better than what is heard by a million people. Um, yeah, definitely. So it, it is a problem here in the United States about how we're rock really is struggling for to be noticed, but it's also a good thing because I think now more than ever, rock and roll is really in the hands of the fans and the hands of the musicians. There's no one telling them what to do and how to do it. And mm -hmm. that's a really exciting time. And whether it's a band from overseas or whether it's a band here, you know, within the borders of the United States, it's it's a grind for a lot of bands, but there's a really there's an authenticity with a lot of the new bands like yourself. Um, and there's a real love for it because you really have to get out and, and grow your fan base in order to really be something these days. And that takes love and it takes authenticity. And that's where rock and roll is, in my opinion. Yeah. I think also a major difference with the way it used to be back in the day was back in the day, everyone who was young wanted to start a band like in the sixties and seventies. So I think out of those like millions of, uh, like it's a chance thing. Like if you multiply a chance by a million, you know, more cool rock music was that, that was at that time the popular music, but also like the good music. Um, yeah, you have more, you have more bands and more, more legendary bands, but I think it's very splintered nowadays. Young people, you gotta be a little weird to start a band now in a way, because why would you do that? There's not, there's not a promise of fortune and fame and money and girls and all stuff like that. It used to be like that back in the day. So also I think. I think back in the day, it was way more appealing to start a band in many ways because you would have like the promise of all these things I just mentioned. And I think a lot of kids got into it for, you know, for a part because of those reasons and then discover like, oh, I'm actually really good at this or I love doing this. And then they would, you know, they would become the heroes that we know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, whereas now, you know, there's only like a select a very small, relatively small group of people who actually choose to, you know, spend hundreds or thousands of hours in the room practicing to play an instrument and to go on stage and maybe never achieving anything with that. You, know, you have to be a little 
twisted to uh, take that chance. I agree. I agree. I think there, like, like I said, there's a true authenticity with the new bands that are out there because they really love doing it. And, you know, it isn't like the, the carrot that was dangled years before of money and, and cars. There'll always be chicks every time you start a rock band, you know, but, but, uh, but as far as the, the, you know, the huge mansions and the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis, I think that's, uh, I think that that's few and far between, sadly, but yeah. So we always begin the episodes every time we have a new guest on the show with the same first question. And that is just like every rock song has a hook. Every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in. Every mm-hmm. rock band has a moment, whether it's a band, a performance, an album or song that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, I have to go like way back because I've been wanting to play guitar since I was eight years old. Started playing when I was nine. And the reason, like there's uh, two things. The, the one thing was my dad, he sang like in a tribute band or a, like a cover band. And uh, from the time he was 30, so I was like eight. And I would go to rehearsals with him. Like whenever I had like a school vacation, I would go to rehearsal with him and I would see this guitar player playing a Gibson Les Paul. And he was like my, my biggest hero. And I wanted to play guitar because of him. Or, and I'm not sure anymore because it's such a long time ago. Or it was uh, seeing Metallica. <laughs> I was, that, that's, that's also the reason I wanted to play guitar was because of Metallica. And then I think, Probably mostly Kirk Hammett, uh, seeing him. Uh, I've never seen him live, by the way, but I, there would be. I was a huge Metallica fan because somebody, it was the time when you would still burn CDs, or how do you call it? Like if you make, you okay. copy a CD. And a friend of my dad's, he used to do that, and he would make like stickers for the CD itself, and he would make, he would uh, copy the cover art. Uh, and whenever he had a like a failed one that was like a misprint, he would give it to me. And one of those CDs was Metallica, was um, Reload. <laughs> and uh, so I guess that's a large part of why I wanted to play guitar in the first place. You know, my musical taste changed a lot after, but uh, I think that was the starting point. So that must have been... I actually have a video of me... Uh, doing like a playback uh, like a lip sync show in my uh like oh, what's it called like my the first school you go to not kindergarten but right after that uh elementary school elementary school yeah i it's the th- uh, third class so i was 7 years old and i had this uh this goatee like put on like fake a fake. Goatee I was gonna say you had a goatee when you were in elementary. School. No, 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 no. I had like a fake goatee and a, and a bandana and a fake guitar that my dad made out of plywood, and I was uh, lip syncing Metallica for a talent show. <laughs> so I th- it must have been Metallica. Where did your taste go from there? I mean, your your music has a very R and B bluesy type of feel to it. Mm-hmm. How did that? How did how did that music come into your life? So 
you know, it started with Metallica and I went to guitar lessons and pretty soon I discovered that it was really complicated music to play for a nine-year-old. So that was a bummer. And then my focus changed more towards skateboarding, which I was also doing at the time. And then, and then I discovered Nirvana. I'm not sure how, but I discovered Nirvana. And then somebody teach me these chords that were, you know, very comprehensible for a, for a 10 or 11 year old to play. And then I found, really found the fun in, in playing guitar again. I was like, Oh, I was, then that was the moment that I started, you know, to lock myself up in my room, just playing guitar all day, started my first band. And, you know, we played like Nirvana covers. And then, and then, uh, when I was about 13 or 14, my dad gave me for Christmas, gave me a, a Jimi Hendrix compilation album. And he didn't know Jimi Hendrix because he grew up in the eighties and he grew up with like alternative music and grunge, stuff like that. But he figured, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix, they call him the best guitarist in the world and Pablo likes playing guitar. So maybe he'll like this. And he bought me that CD and I played it. And the first time I played, I was like, this sounds weird. Sounds different from all the other stuff I, I've heard. And then, you know, in that time when you got an album for Christmas, that was just the album you were going to play all day because it was like one of the two or three albums you had. So I played it over and over again. And then after like the fourth time, I very clearly remember uh the fourth time I heard like Voodoo Child Slight Return, something clicked and I was like, oh my God, I got to. And then I tried, you know, figuring out how to play it on a guitar and when I could do that, I could tell all my friends, like, Jimi Hendrix is the best guitar player in the world, and I can play his song. <laughs> so that was a huge motivation to just play more and more. And then because of Jimi Hendrix, I discovered Cream and Led Zeppelin. And, you know, and then you you also start listening to their inspirations. So, you 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 know, you arrive at, like, chess records, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, all of my friends are musicians. So from the time I was, um, from the time, you know, I left school, like at, when I was 18, uh, and went to the conservatory, I just was surrounded by musicians all the time. So there's no escaping, uh, discovering new music. And I, you know, I think from the first time I heard Jimi Hendrix, I, it was very clear that I like the sound of old music. I just like the sound of old recording. So somebody would like show something, shows me music and it, it sounded cool. I would dig into that. And um, yeah. You mentioned chess records here in Chicago. Your, your music has an obvious influence of blues and R and B. What were some of the blues greats, the blues influence that you had? Like what's, which artists? <laughs> oh, uh, a big one for me is Howlin' Wolf. Like he, uh, like the way he delivers his songs is just something that is, if I could, you know, if I could only achieve like 1% of that, I would, I could die happily. He's like one of the greatest, I think. Um, you know, I, I, I listen, it's not chess records, but I listen a lot to Robert Johnson. That was also, you know, because I went to this record store and he advised me to buy a Robert Johnson CD. And I listened to that and I really dug into that. And, and BB King, of course, um, those are some of the blues crits that I, 
have listened a lot to. Uh, Otis Rush is also, he has this one record that I really love. It's with, it features Dwayne Allman on uh, slide guitar and was recorded at Fame in um, Alabama. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, a, a lot of stuff. I had a chance to take my nephew to see Buddy Guy in January. And, oh, you know, Buddy Guy just announced his farewell tour. And he's got a club here in Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah, they do some residency shows. It's called Legends. And he has all blues artists come there and play. And and he's 86 now. And I had not seen him in, in concert probably in about 20 plus years. And my nephew just turned 21. So I took him to the show. And it was phenomenal. It was just great to see him. And yeah. he's the last remaining of the Chicago Blues greats. There's no one else besides him. And his club kind of acts as kind of a de facto museum. So I was showing oh, my really? nephew pictures of like Freddie King and Otis Rush and Magic oh. Sam and Sonny Boy Williamson and all these fantastic blues greats that, that you know, kind of cut their teeth in Chicago yeah, and it was just a great performance. It's great to see him. He still sounds phenomenal. He still has this great banter on stage with the audience. But he's so cool, and he has such a distinctive sound. Like I always think he, uh, it sounds like he has like rubber bands for strings. He's like very no one bends a string like no one bends a string like Buddy Guy. Nobody. Yeah, yeah. it's so special. I I love this. There's this video I saw on YouTube where he was plays like first time I met the blues. Uh, it's really it's like seven early seventies recording I think, and he sings into this big weird microphone, and it's so intense. Oh man, even thinking about it gives me goosebumps. First time I met the blues. He sings so high, so powerful, and this this he also played with a lot of he he played like with Big Mama Thornton. There's this video of him. Uh, yeah, played with Junior Wells a lot. Oh um, yeah, and uh, the, when when like. The Stones would come to Chicago, like he would go on stage with them. They'd have him on stage and play. And, you know, Jimmy Page referred to him as the greatest guitar player of all time. There is, a, you're speaking of Hendrix early, earlier, there's a cover, a Buddy Guy cover of Red House. Okay. That is out of this world. Okay. Out I of don't this know world. it. You, you got to check it out. It's, it's on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it somewhere, but. It is an intense, like, the, his playing on that is yeah. out of this world. I just listen to it sometime, and I'm just, even even though I've heard it hundreds of times, I'm still amazed by it. I'm going to check it out. Red House. Yeah, it's the cover of the, of the well, I'm, I don't know if that's an original by Hendrix, or Hendrix covered it. Yeah. Okay. No, it's an original. Yeah. Just absolutely phenomenal. But... The Chicago blues scene back in the day was always thriving, was was huge. You know, John Lee Hooker, all these greats. And it still is able to influence people. It's just a shame that blues like that is not as prevalent um, as each generation passes. It's not as what? Prevalent. It's not as... Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no I think... No I think nowadays, I mean, no disrespect, and, and there's exceptions, of course, and no disrespect to, to modern day blues musicians, but I think, uh, what I don't like about a lot of modern blues is like they take these cliches from these old recordings and then, and then 
give it a bunch of like steroids and and that's that's the blue sound i hear a lot of times whereas i think the blues like as it was made back then by those people there's something so pure and so vulnerable about it and so like it's that's like the the ultimate form of expression um so one of the worst things you can do with that is like give it a inject it with a bunch of steroids and make it like this masculine boasting thing see how fast i can play or um yeah that's what i know i when music goes into that direction i kind of i switch off there's a great new traditional blues band called ga20 that is really good they're based out of boston really good traditional blues style okay i've heard about them i think I think yeah, they had the number one blues record. I think on Billboard this past year in 2022. Okay. So they've they've um they've got some really good stuff. But and you guys do too as well. And that's kind of what's amazing about DeWolf is that you guys have this huge influence in American you know blues and all this stuff. And and yet you're in the Netherlands. And yeah. how, how does that how does that translate? Because blues is based on poverty and it and it's based on pure emotion there's no other music form that has the the emotion comes out and how you play and how you sing and what you sing about and everyone can do a different version of of the same song in blues because it's all about what they're feeling it's all about what they've been through so it's a direct output of your feelings and i don't think there's any other genre of music that has that and you're in the Netherlands and you're able to get this music and could be influenced by it. How, how does that happen? I think, um, I totally agree with what you're saying. However, I also think that a, a big inspiration for me as well, uh, is guys like, uh, Peter Green and Paul Kossoff and, and all these British bands like Led Zeppelin, early Led Zeppelin. And they also, I, I think they, I mean, what they do is definitely not uh, the same as what happened in the United States in the in the fifties and, and even before that. Uh, but it's an interpretation of, and I think that's a beautiful thing about music. Like I have little in common, I think, uh, with a, a black man from the south of the United States. Um, I mean, I don't live in poverty and I don't experience the, the, the terrible uh, racism that these people encounter. Um, but like art, you can see something like in a museum or you can hear something on a record and you can just inexplicably get uh, like moved by it or, or something hits you in a certain spot and you there's no reasoning. Uh, on on how that works like it's very mystic and i i i love that i think that, that you know that's how inspiration works and i think if if i listen to peter green i hear um what i'm hearing is so beautiful and it has its roots in in in, in blues music from the united states but it's also this this other thing um i can't really explain but i think it kind of works the same way. Yeah. That's with a band like Fleetwood Mac, like early Fleetwood Mac. Right. 
Yeah, that is always an interesting part of the history of the blues. You know, obviously it you know started in the Delta and then came up through Chicago and then the UK, you know, guys like yeah. you mentioned, Paul Kossoff and Peter Green, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page and the Stones and the Beatles and you know, took this music that they heard and completely gave it a different interpretation and, and, and a different style, which is I think part of the the great history of it, you know, because even blues greats, you know, the original blues greats would all have different interpretations of the same song. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's Sweet Home Chicago or whether it's Dust My Broom or all this, you know, kind of stuff where different blues greats would be playing that. It's it's almost like it's the same thing with the with the English blues greats. Yeah, and they're I think like on the surface, it's it's very noticeable what the differences between people are. But I think underneath that surface, there is something that connects everyone. And I think uh, music is is a way to connect people. So that's you know uh, what all people have in common is something that like it's a, a it's a exclusive to humans uh, to be able to make music. And it's something very human. And it also, like, I think uh, bridges can be built between people through music. And it's it's almost non-explainable because, you know, what doesn't really even matter what the song is about. Sometimes you just hear something and it touches you so, so much that you have, like, this, you develop a love for an artist that you don't even know. Personally, I mean, uh, that is, like, a beautiful thing about music. When you guys are creating and developing your music, you know, with this last album, the album before, and you're going to studio, you know, what is the process for you guys? Oh, uh, well, it depends. It's different sometimes. Like sometimes I uh, will come up with something at home because I'm playing guitar a lot of the time and, and or I would, I'm just like walking in a supermarket and I get this melody in my head that I record to my voice recorder and once i get home i i decide what the chords to those melodies should be um and then i kind of like half finish that and take it to a rehearsal and we just do what we do with it uh so that's like to me like the most um uh no no no. uh (laughs) what i wanted to say the, the other way is we sometimes just get together with the purpose of writing new material and we'll sit down and some hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycons or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. 
I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. But you will start playing something from the top of their head, and then we will join in, and we'll jam, and then... It probably starts because it was like a good riff or something. And then maybe we get into this not so exciting part. And then somebody plays something new again. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's that's it. And then we record that and um, and we decide what to do with it. Uh, how to like, is this is this going to be like the, the chorus or or we just we just hold one chord and. And Luca or me uh, will will improvise um, like a, a vocal melody on top of that, and then if one of us has something good, the other one will go like, "Yeah, that's good. Uh, we gotta save that." And um, that's how most of the songs get written. The style of music when you're putting this band together was it? What was the process of finding others to? play this type of music you know because it, it's not prevalent in today's modern music so was it easy finding other other musicians the rest of the band to to really kind of move forward with this style well uh well the one of the other band members is my little brother so we grew up together so all the music i listened to he listened to so we found each other musically like very very early on and then robin i met robin when i was like nine or ten we uh we would play together in this uh, youth choir that's how i met him we would play like popular songs of that time so that's like early zeros late 90s stuff uh totally not resembling anything we do now but we uh developed a friendship and you know i was listening to hendrix and and robin i think he had already discovered hendrix and the doors through his dad because uh, he's that his dad is a little older and he actually had those records at home and Robin liked that. And uh, we hung out a lot. And then at one point, um, so I was in this, <laughs> I was in this other band that I started when I was 11 and we were doing pretty good here in the Netherlands. Like when I was 13, I played like some pretty big festivals with that band. Um, and 
we needed a rehearsal space and my brother was already had already started drumming so my parents who just have like a, a how do you call it in english like a house with other houses like on the left and right of it you know all built together uh they decided to dig a giant hole in the garden and build a basement in the garden so that we would have a rehearsal room and my brother could drum there and also because my dad was in this band they also needed a rehearsal space and they could rehearse there and once this uh, basement was finished i just invited robin to come on over and jam and i was into like surf rock at that time i, I was I, I was hugely influenced by the movie pulp fiction which has like the dig deal soundtrack of course yeah and i was listening to music like that and that's what i wanted to play so we got together with the three of us and i was like yeah i have this riff and i played the rest of this riff and we started playing and it was like a little weird a little odd and we tried something else and then it was like uh i think one of us actually said like let's just play something that comes up you know out of in our that pops up and the first thing that pops up in our head and we did that and that was and then robin started playing the riff to what was to become our one of our first songs golden seaweed from our ep and uh so actually not thinking about what style of music we wanted to play made us play this music that we play this so this was the thing that was uh um coming from that deep place within that you have no control over. Is that what led to you guys finding your sound? Yeah, because yeah, there's always like the only compass we have for what music we want to make or going to make is like that internal compass that is just uh, calibrated to the stuff that we love. So we would never, and we have never written anything that was not uh, motivated by something, you know, within us. We would never write something like commercial because our manager wanted us to do that. And um, fortunately, from the early beginning, we had a manager that that just let us do our thing. Like, I mean, we, we would just jam and jam. We did that like 10 times. And then we were like, so is this a band? And the rest was like, I guess so. Okay, we need a name. Was decided that the name was going to be The Wolf. Uh, also, you know, influenced by Pulp Fiction, Harvey Keitel's um, character. And uh, then after, you know, a couple of months, we found like a manager who wanted to also uh, release like an EP, the EP we had just recorded ourselves. And, um, you know, he supported us and he just let us do our thing. And we've stuck with him for like eight years. And, um, so through the years, we also uh, learned to trust on our own instincts and be like, yeah, if we, if we like the stuff we make, it's probably good enough for the outside world. <laughs> but and to how- this day, it still feels like we're just doing it for ourselves. Like, especially the last record, Love, Death and In Between, it was all like, I don't know, I have this cool idea for a song, let's just try to play it with these 11 people and we would play it and I would listen back to it. I was like, I fucking love it, but I highly doubt anyone else is going to like it. And then that gets played on the radio, like a lot of times here. Uh, and so that's, that's really cool. 
what is the rock landscape in in the Netherlands? You know, I mean, I kind of talked to you about what the U.S. is, you know, mm. earlier in the conversation. But what is it there in the Netherlands? I mean, is is new rock prevalent on the radio? No, I think there's very few rock bands here in the Netherlands that are, you know, being played on the radio or that have, uh, you know, good tours and stuff like that. It's We were at the right place at the right time, I think. And um, there are a lot of cool bands, though. If um, a, cool, a lot of cool rock bands, they just they don't get the exposure they deserve. Uh, which is a shame, uh, and it's such a small country that there only seems to be like place for one rock band, maybe two, maybe three. Uh, but it kind of stops, kind of ends there. So um, that's kind of a shame. But there are a lot of cool bands here in the Netherlands. Like I, uh, I, we own and, and I operate a, a recording studio. Uh, and I have the pleasure to, you know, bands come to us and they, I get to record their, their stuff like EPs or albums. And I got to know a lot of really cool bands because of that. But none of these guys can, you know, actually live from, from making music. Right. They all do it like on the side. Few, few exceptions. And do you guys have a fan base throughout Europe? Is it, um, you know, explain that, you know, because here here in the U.S. it's different markets like Chicago is a big rock town. Obviously, Nashville's Music City and there's other towns that are, have a good rock fan base. And then there's others that don't. You know, what's it like for you across Europe is, you know, have you played outside of the Netherlands? Yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to. Um, well, I mean, we're relatively popular, but it's also still like a niche what we do. Like we don't, you know, we're not a mainstream man. So you kind of have to, have to go abroad and we've always wanted to go abroad, but that's, that's what you also have to do in order to, um, you know, uh, avoid getting stuck like under this glass ceiling. Um, so really from day one, I think, or about like from 12 years ago, we started going to Germany uh, which is compared to the Netherlands, a much bigger country. So there's a lot of opportunity to play there, but it's also harder to, um, attract new fans. So we've been building there for 12 years and, and now we're at the point where we can tour and, and sell out like 500 to 800, uh, capacity shows in the, in the, bigger cities like Hamburg, Berlin, Stuttgart, stuff like that. Uh, and every country is so different. That's that's so funny about Europe. So we have France, where we've also been playing for a long time, but it's a lot harder. Like the rock music, or at least our rock music, doesn't really seem to catch on there. It's a lot harder to to gain uh, like an audience there. Uh, and Spain, on the other hand, is great for us. Like we've, we've been touring Spain for, I think first time we went there was also like 10 years ago. And now, uh, yeah, we fill like a thousand capacity venues and people in Spain are fucking great. Like people in Spain really, that's a rock country, I think. 
especially cities like Madrid, Madrid especially, and uh, uh, all the way up in the north, you have Bilbao. Those are really like people are really rock oriented there, and they, uh, you know, they really come to a show and uh, to to you know really they want to go all the way. They wanna they wanna have the night of their lives, and they they do everything they can to make that happen. So it makes it very easy for us to to uh, you know it's uh it's great to play there. I've heard that about Spain. I've heard that about Germany, other countries too, as well. That sound intriguing with rock with the rock scene, like Belgium and Austria. Yeah. Belgium has a funny, uh, because I now live also very close to the border with Belgium, and that's also where I grew up. And, uh, we used to listen to Belgian radio, and, and, and Belgium is really big on, like, weird alternative music. Like, the, the mainstream, uh, radio station in Belgium, like, especially when I was growing up, they would play, like, the weirdest stuff, and it was mainstream radio. And, uh, so there's a lot of like hidden, hidden cool alternative jams in the, in Belgium, I guess. How is it for you guys that this last album that came out, the album before and before that, it seems like every time you guys are releasing more music, more people discover you. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a great development. <laughs> Actually, it's a, it's way better than if it would be the other way around. Um, and it's also a funny contradiction with all the bands that I listen to because most of the bands, like classic bands that I listen to, I think their first couple of albums are the best. And, and then after that, uh, I think it slowly degrades. But I honestly believe that we, you know, when we made our first album, we were like, we were so young. I was 16. My brother was 13. We had no idea what we were doing. And like I just said, I, we still don't really have an idea of what we're doing, but at least we understand how to write a song now. Like in the beginning, we were really just jamming, and then somebody else would say like, okay, uh, let's record this. Maybe make it eight minutes and not 16. And uh, so we had no clue. So I think we learned so much over the years that the albums are actually – um, getting better, like up to a certain point, like I think, uh, around, um, uh, around Ruga Ru, no, maybe the album after it, I think around Thrust, I think, um, the albums after that weren't necessarily better. They were just like different, like on the same, um, level, like of, of songwriting. Um, but yeah, our fan base just grows because we, we continue like touring um like we're always we're touring a lot so um if we release a new album we do tour and uh we always try to play like the the very best show we can play like no matter where no matter what we don't need a lot like for example in spain like or germany we would sometimes play like these weird places in the beginning where only like a hundred people would fit in. There was hardly a PA system, but we didn't need that because we would just overpower, uh, the place and, and just go all the way, even if there were like 20 people. And that's still what we do when we play in front of more people. And I don't know that that really works apparently because 
every time we go back to a certain place, there's more people than the time before. Like I said, the album that I discovered you guys on was Wolfpack. And oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, you do. Was was if it's a is a fantastic song. Do me is a fantastic song. And then you, you you know go into the new album, um, which was just released this last quarter, Love Death, and in between. What was the approach? I mean, do you guys have a different approach to each album going into it, or how does that how does that process begin? Yeah, we do have a, a different approach. I, I mean, up to a certain point, up to like the album uh, Thrust, we were always just making, trying to make our best record, whatever that meant. And after Thrust, uh, you know, when we made Thrust, we really had the feeling that we did everything we could to make it sound as good as it could be. And sometimes it was very, um, you know, tiring, that, that process. Like we would, we were recording to analog tape in our own studio and we were just doing stuff over and over and over again, trying to make it like perfect. And then after that, we uh, made Tascam tapes. Uh, and the idea was just like, let's go on the, on the road with a four track cassette recorder. Actually, I have that one here, this one and uh, make a record with that. So that was definitely not us trying to make our best record yet. We just wanted to do something crazy. And with Wolfpack, I think the idea was uh, there's a lockdown and we there's not a, a lot we can do besides, you know, uh, writing songs and make a record. So we started making that album in isolation. Like uh, me and my brother, we would uh, come together in the studio sometimes, but I would already have like a part of the song written. And we would uh, play it with the two of us and then send it to Robin because he was with his girlfriend in another part of the country. And uh, he would add his parts to it, and we would sometimes send it to like uh, guest musicians that, and they would add the part like, uh, "Yes, you do." Uh, the bass guitar was played by Ian Perez. We used to be in the band Wolf Mother, and we got to know him like twelve years ago when we were uh, touring in Australia, and uh, he he laid down his bass parts, and that was very fun and adventurous. But then towards the end, like of the Corona, of the COVID times, we were so sick and tired just doing an album like in layers, recording it in layers. That was not something that we were very used to. And it was a fun experiment. And then we started a new project with a, with another band, the Dawn Brothers, that we're big fans of. And they're also based in, they're based in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And, um, we wanted to make like uh we me and the and the singer from the Dumbrus, we would get together and write like classic soul or r and b uh, songs, and then the next day we would take those songs, usually three or four songs and 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 playing with all the guys and record them to tape and make it sound as 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 old school as possible, you know really uh, making. Uh, referencing to old Stax records um, and Muscle Shoals. There's Muscle Shoals and Fame records. And uh, we would play all those sessions live with horns. So there would be sometimes like nine musicians in one room playing live together. And that was so exciting. And it was so cool to do that. And it was uh, also very different because you're part of a song from the beginning when you're playing it. When you're doing the take, 
you can lean into the sound that's already there. You know, you're just 10% of it. Uh, whereas with the last, with that Wolfpack record, uh, when I was playing with Luca, it was sometimes very hard to hear what the finished result was going to sound like. And now here we, were, here we were playing like the finished result almost like instantly. And then we thought, this is something we want to do on the next The Wolf record as well. Uh, so that was the idea for for Love, Death, and In Between, was to make a record without any overdubs and play it all live with, you know, as much musicians in the room as there needed to be to, to fill the song. So if there was going to be a tambourine in the song, we had to bring along an extra person to shake the tambourine while we were uh, playing at the same time. You know, looking back, you know, from these last couple of albums that you know you guys think have really hit your groove with your songwriting and your playing, how do you guys look at the last couple of albums and the music that you guys are putting out? Um, well, I'm very, I'm very happy with what we put out, and I always feel like what we do with the Wolf comes. It comes directly from our souls and from our minds. Like there's no, no, how do you say it? No barrier between the music that we love and the music that we make. Not to say it has the same greatness as the music that we love, but just saying like there's no, there's no one telling us what to do. And we ourselves are also super open minded about all the music that we like. If, if somebody comes up with like, um with an idea it's never too too this or too that i think a lot of rock bands they have um maybe their rock band for their rock ideas and then they have a, a side project for their country ideas and maybe another band we just we just let it all we don't have this preconceived notion of what we should sound like we just we sound like what we sound like. We sound like the music we're listening to in that moment, um, which is very uh, liberating. It's very uh, feels like ultimate like musical freedom. What was like the difference that you wanted to convey on this new album versus the one Wolfpack prior to that? Well, the, the, I wanted to capture the the sheer joy of playing music and playing music live. Uh, together with these other musicians that you whose sound you can lean into was uh the way to achieve that i think um so yeah the the sheer joy of, of of being alive being human and being able to to make something together with other people without words Pablo, it's been a great conversation. The album has, is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, thankfully, I was able to finally have you on the show. Uh, for those listening, Love, Death, and In Between is the album released by DeWolf this past quarter in 2023. You can order it. You can stream it on all platforms. You can order from their website. Um, I've got their CD for Wolfpack, and I've got this album, too, as well. Both phenomenal, both great. It's an album that you guys should be listening to, my listeners should be listening to. So check that out. And, and Pablo, thank you once again. Jay, thank you so much for having me on the show. 
Absolutely, man. Got to do it again. Next time you have a new record out, we'll have you back on. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right, everyone. I'm Jay Scott. That is Pablo from the band D-Wolf. And uh, take care of yourself. Stay safe. And we will talk soon. All right. Great talking to you. Awesome. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.